Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Hey, everyone. It's so good to be back with you. Sorry about our little interruption last week. Our engineer went on vacation. I mean, how dare him have a life? Just kidding. All right. So for anyone who is just joining us, this Lent, we've been focusing on the Gospel of John and John's Gospel and how it's composed of seven signs, which are intended to represent the seven sacraments. And in our most recent episode, that would have been two weeks ago, that episode, we started to identify and unpack the first three signs in John's Gospel. So now we're going to pick up with sign number four which is in John 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, and particularly within verses 9 through 14. Now, a couple of interesting notes here. The first is that there are only two miracle accounts out of all of the miracles that Jesus performed. There are only two accounts that you will find in all four Gospels. The first account is going to be Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which is kind of a big deal considering that that's essential to Christianity. And the second, which lets you know that this is also a very big deal, the second is this miracle, this sign, when Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes. So keep that in mind. What else in our faith could be that important that It, alongside with the resurrection, are the only two miracle accounts of Jesus that you will find in all four Gospels. Also, another cool thing to note here is that there are two signs out of the seven signs in John's Gospel that are centered around food. The first one is going to be the wine during the wedding feast at Cana, and the second is here in John 6 with the multiplication of the bread. So... Just kind of giving you that little hint, wine and bread, kind of important deals here. All right, so the fourth sign, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, they're all sitting around on a hill and they need to be fed and there's only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Two fishes? Two fish? Someone tell me. Two fishes, two fish. I'm not sure. All right, so John wrote this event in his gospel, in a way so that any early Christian, when they heard this, their ears would perk up and they would know that this sign is depicting the Last Supper where the sacrament of the Eucharist was instituted. And the way John does this is that he uses five words, five common but powerful words, especially when you're used to hearing them grouped together in the Last Supper. He uses these five words within probably about two verses of scripture. And these five words are take, loaves, give thanks, or the Greek Eucharistane. The fourth is distributed, and the fifth is reclining. So here's how they all work together. So you will find these in the Last Supper accounts when all of the apostles are reclining at the table and Jesus says, you know, take this bread. He gives thanks. He distributes it among them. And then again, we're going to see that here in this account of Jesus multiplying the five loaves and two fish. So all of these 5,000 people are sitting on these hills and 
they need to be fed, you know. And so Jesus finds out that there's this one lad, is what we see in scripture, who has five loaves, two fish. And Jesus says, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in numbers about 5,000. Jesus then took, that's one word, right? He took the loaves, loaves, that's our second word. And when he had given thanks, that's our third word, he distributed, that's our fourth word, he distributed them to those who were seated so also the fish as much as they wanted. So if we're going to read that together without making my commentary, it would say, Jesus said, make the people sit down. And that would be referring to the reclining. Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in numbers about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and then he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Right. So during the beginning of Christianity, Christians would have gathered together on Sundays in their house churches, not to hear the scripture readings, but to partake in the Eucharistic meal. That was the purpose of their gathering. The scriptures would be read as part of the liturgy. Yes, but that wasn't the purpose of their gathering together. So imagine the early Christians meeting to share in the sacrament of the Eucharist. And they're obviously familiar with the Eucharistic prayer, which is going to be hearkening back to the Last Supper accounts, which they're very familiar with, because it's going to be recounted every time they meet every Sunday. And then they hear John's gospel, and they hear these five words together when they hear this miracle account, this sign. It's absolutely amazing. So John describes the people here having eaten their fill, which is also important, meaning that they were stuffed at the time that they finished. And even after everyone had eaten their fill, Jesus instructs the apostles to go pick up the leftovers. See, there's still food left over. I mean, how much food did Jesus make? Did he miracle? How much of it was there? I mean, there was just so much that not only did everyone, all of these 5,000 people, did they eat as much as they wanted, there were still leftovers. And the leftover scraps that Jesus has the apostles pick up This is a sign of the abundance that comes from this sign, this miracle, the Eucharist. But it's also going to show us the honor and the respect that would be shown to the Eucharist to make sure that the Eucharist is treated with reverence. So this is the bulk of this sign. And I mean, we could go, we could talk about this probably for like four episodes, but I just wanted to give you like a skeleton outline, because I think it's important that you read John 6, this this part of the the sign, and then you also read the Last Supper account from one of the other gospels. Read them together, because when you do that, you're going to come across these similarities, and you're going to see that, yes, this is exactly what John's referring to. He's referring to the Last Supper. He's referring to the Eucharist. And as you see that, you'll make those discoveries, and it will become more personal. You'll own that moment of discovery. And I think it will enrich you more than if I were to just drone on and on and on about it. Because you have to, I think, find find the connections yourself because they're more meaningful that way. Um, I mean, I've told you where they are, but as you do it, they become personal. Okay. So just a little bit more about this before we move on to the next sign. Now, right after this sign, Jesus preaches to the people in what we call the bread of life discourse. Here, Jesus declares that 
He says, quote, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And this harkens us back to the manna in the desert during Moses's day. And at that time, the manna was supernatural food that the people had to eat so that they would not die. Jesus continues in the Bread of Life discourse to say that he who eats this bread, meaning himself, will live forever. So not only will they not die, they're going to live forever. Then a little bit later in verse 51, Jesus makes it very clear that when he's talking about the bread that has come down from heaven, and he's referring to himself, he's being very literal, and he's talking about his flesh. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And he's not being symbolic here. In John's gospel, sometimes people have a temptation to say, oh, it's all symbolism. How can this be true? Um, But we can tell by the way that the crowd murmured and people had turned away that they knew he was being literal or else they wouldn't have walked away. They wouldn't have turned their backs. They knew he was being literal. And as you read in John's gospel, Jesus is going to go from being symbolic to being literal. So he might start out kind of symbolic and then he just like unfolds everything and it just all flowers and you have like the true literal sense there. So when Jesus is saying, this is my flesh, he's going to drive home this point because from here on out, when he says eat, like eat this bread, eat my flesh, he's going to change from using the Greek word for eat to the Greek word for munch or tana, which is trogo. So that shows that like you're actually having to like really dig in here into something that's flesh, something that's going to, you know, you're going to have to munch on and gnaw on. Not something that's just going to like melt in your mouth. Okay, so those are the cool little interesting points. I really encourage you to go back and read this, um, reread John 6 and read one of the Last Supper accounts from another gospel and make those connections yourself. I think you're really going to appreciate it. And also, if you appreciate it, you definitely will know someone else who does because Great minds think alike. So if there's someone else that comes to mind to you right now or when you're doing that exercise, I strongly suggest I strongly suggest to you that you pull out your phone and text them. You can text them right now um, and send them the info to this episode or you can send them a link so that they can hear it as well. So let's move on to sign number five. So the fifth sign is when Jesus heals the man who was born blind in chapter nine. This is the second sign out of John's seven signs, this is the second one that involves a person with a physical disability. The first time that we saw this was in the third sign with the account of the paralytic whose healing represented the sacrament of confession and the reality of its healing power. In this case, however, with the paralytic, his disability was a result of sin. That was the belief of the time that an outward sickness was a result of an interior sickness, a sickness in your soul, a sin. So it makes sense that at the beginning of this fifth sign, when we're talking about the man born blind, Jesus is asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? But in this situation here, unlike the paralyzed man, the blind man, he did not sin, nor did his parents. And Jesus says as much. But then after he says that, Jesus continues to say, I am the light of the world. And you're like, okay, yes, Jesus, you are the light of the world. But then you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, what does that have to do with answering the question about whether or not this man or his parents sinned? 
Everything. That Jesus saying, I am the light of the world has everything to do with the fact that this man was born blind. And it's because this man was born into darkness, physical darkness, because he's blind. He was born blind, so he was in a physical darkness, but he was also born in original sin, which is a spiritual darkness. So physical darkness, spiritual darkness. All right, we see that connection. See, Jesus is the light that we receive when we are healed of original sin. When Jesus restores sight to the blind man, the blind man is receiving a foretaste of what? What sacrament? Baptism. The inner light that mankind lost when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord is restored at our baptism. The blind man, once in darkness, is now able to see the light and see the world in that light, the light of God. And how does Jesus heal him? This account says that Jesus makes clay using the dust of the ground and spitting in it, using his spittle. And then he rubs that clay on the man's eyes and then instructs the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, there's two interesting connections here between how Jesus heals this man and the Garden of Eden. The first has to do with the clay. In one of the creation accounts we read in Genesis, Adam is made from the dust of the ground. And there was an ancient Hebrew understanding in the imagination of the people that the dust that made Adam was held together by the divine spittle of God. And we have texts here that prove this belief, right? So you get dust, spittle of God, Does that sound familiar? God creates Adam out of dust and spittle, and then Jesus kind of recreates the blind man, in a sense, by giving him sight using dust and his own spittle, which we know is divine spittle also. The second interesting connection between the way that Jesus heals this man in the Garden of Eden is the pool that Jesus tells him to go and wash in, the pool of Siloam, and for two reasons. The first part of that is This pool is from the river Gihon, which comes from Jerusalem. Now, the Gihon River was named from one of the rivers that flowed from the Garden of Eden. And the temple in Jerusalem was believed to be the new Eden. You remember that from our episode on the temple? Jerusalem is seen as the new Eden. And that episode was called, What Does a Temple Have to Do With Me? If you don't remember what I'm talking about or you haven't listened to that episode yet, I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that shortly after you hear um, the conclusion of this episode. Okay, so in the garden, Adam and Eve were able to enjoy the presence of God. In the temple, the presence of God was found in the Holy of Holies. Once the blind man washes in the water that come from the river that represents the river that came from the place where Adam and Eve were able to enjoy walking and talking with God in the garden before they lost that inner light of God, the blind man's vision is restored literally. His ability to see light is restored literally, but symbolically his inner light is restored to the inner light that man had in the garden of Eden. We get that? How awesome is that? Okay, so the second way in which the Pool of Siloam brings us back to the Garden of Eden is that Siloam means scent, S-E-N-T, scent. And what's one of the things that happens to a person after they are baptized? That person is then sent out into the world to preach the gospel, to be a disciple of God. So all of us who have been baptized, we are sent. We're sent on mission to be disciples, to preach the good news. 
Just saying. Anyway, so we see the symbolism in these details here point out how the blind man is being linked to creation, but he's not being created. He's being recreated. Like at baptism, we're made a new creation. We're, we're recreated. Okay, so you know, I've mentioned before, there's some of those um, places in scripture that you read them and they might seem out of place or they might just seem like filler and you're not sure what it has to do with anything. Another one of those has, um, you can find here in this account, and it has a lot of purposeful significance. And it happens when the blind man, after his sight is restored, and this right here is really going to drive home this point about recreation and baptism. So when the neighbors see the blind man, he's no longer blind. And so they're kind of confused. They're not sure if this is the blind man or if he's someone else and they're just mistaken. And so they ask him, are you the man who used to sit and beg? Are we mistaken? Or are you a different person? And the blind man answers by saying, I am. Now in your Bible, it might say, I am man. But the actual literal way that he says it is ego amy, which is I am. And when I read this, I kind of chuckle because it reminds me of, you know, when my, uh, when my husband, when he'll ask me a question and he'll give me like two options that are like completely different, you know, do you want, you know, to eat out? Do you want to eat in? And I'm just like, yes. And he's like, yes, what? You want to eat out? Or yes, you want to eat in? He's, you know, and he's looking at me. He's like trying to figure out what I'm talking about. He's like, help me out, woman. Come on. <laughs> okay. So when this blind man says, I am, to both questions, he's not you know, he's doing it on purpose, not the way that I do it, which is just kind of like out of being a little lazy to finish my sentence. He's actually saying I am to both questions. He is the same man, but he's a different man. Just like for us, when we're baptized, we're the same person afterwards that we were before, but we're also a different person, a creation that has been born into darkness of original sin, but then reborn into the light of God. And so if any of my listeners are getting baptized this Easter Sunday, that's going to be like in a couple of days, I'm so excited for you and know that you are going to be in my prayers in a very special way. Or if you know anyone who's being baptized for Easter, pull out your phone and text them the info for this episode. I am 99.9% sure that if they listen to this, it will make the experience so much sweeter for them. And that's all we have for today. Sorry, guys, we kind of used a lot of time. You know, these are some very big, juicy signs and sacraments, but come back next week and we'll finish the last two signs. But until then, keep up with me on my Clumsy Theosis Instagram profile. I always love to hear from you questions, topic ideas, you're just stopping by to say hi, or you're telling me about how you're transforming the world by transforming yourself. I absolutely love that. So please feel free to instant message me, private message me, comment. And if you have not subscribed to the Clumsy Theosis podcast, this is the time to do it because we're all about making good life decisions, especially during Lent. And this is probably considered a great life decision, subscribing to this podcast. You can find Clumsy Theosis where all good podcasts are found. Have a blessed, a joyful, exuberant, alleluia-filled Easter. Until next week, everybody, peace out. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.